Hey everyone, welcome back to the Drury Outdoors 100% Wild Podcast. I'm your co-host Tim Chelswick along with Matt Drury. What's up? Hey, how are you? I'm good. All right, so we got a recurring guest back on. We got Mr. Pete Shepley with PSE, and we were just talking off camera about a pretty cool little one of those like, did you know facts, and let's start with that. So Pete, first of all, hello. How are you doing today? Doing great. All right, so we were talking about the D loop. Give us the backstory on where the D loop came from. Well, when release aids first came out, um, almost everybody's bowstrings were, and the center servings were monofilament, and they're very delicate, but they were good for shooting with fingers and or in a tab or things like that. But uh, then, when the when the hard metal release aids and the mechanic release aids came along, then the the monofilament started breaking after like 50 to 100 arrows, and and then all the pro shops are going crazy every night because they're sitting there serving bowstrings on everybody's bows mm-hmm. trying to fix them. So, Alan Smith and I were sitting around one of my engineering guys. He ran our engineering department, but uh, I said I think I got an idea that I I believe I saw on a ancient picture of an ancient crossbow, and it was kind of a loop that they had on the thing, and I can't even remember where I ever saw it, and I wasn't sure I did see it, but anyway, uh, <laughs> said I got an idea, and I said. <clears throat> He said, well, how are we going to tie it on there? I said, I don't know, some kind of a knot. And uh, so we kind of tied one. We actually served one on and uh, just with serving thread, and it kind of worked. We thought, well, we got to come up with something better than that. So we came up with a little knot that we, I don't know if they call it, there's a name for the thing. Actually, you can find it in a a roping, you know, a a book of knots, you know. And uh, we didn't know that at the time, but uh, we got the knot working. And uh, one week later, everybody in the world was using the the D-loops. And... uh, came from us and uh, <clears throat> there was no way to patent it or anything, no way to keep everybody from doing their own. So we just let it go. And I think it was one of the best things that ever happened to compound bows because it t- took a lot of the work off the dealer trying to keep everybody's bow working. Yeah. And it worked really good. And it had, it had a lot of little things about it. You could torque it some and the bow still shot the same. And uh, um, it had a lot of lot of advantages to it and, uh, and it worked. So, uh, that's that incredible. went like wildfire, and everybody <laughs> in the world in one week was using it. It was crazy. What year was that? I don't know. I don't remember. But it had to be, I don't know, it had to be uh, early 70s, somewhere in there. So this is a perfect jumping off point because today's podcast, we already had you on, and we kind of talked about the evolution of archery and the evolution of PSC through the years. And this podcast, we wanted to have you back on because, you know, we did a thing on Bow Madness a few years back, the TV show on Outdoor Channel, where we, we had a little intro for your Pete's Tips part that said, Pete Shepley, the most interesting man alive. It was kind of a knockoff of the Dos Equis yeah, guy, yeah. you know? And it I love it because you've been everywhere and you've seemingly you've done everything. And every time we've come out to visit you just to listen to the stories that you have and, and kind of see your facility, it's amazing to see a lot of the animals you've, you've gotten full amounts of and, and all that type of stuff. So I think this is a good jumping off point as to one, you know, let's talk about some of those most interesting things that you've done through your hunting career and through your, through your lifetime. So what are we going to talk about hunts? Well, hey, that's the, it's it's up for whatever you want to want to start. So let's let's start with this. In in your opinion, over all the years, all the hunts that you've been on, what was the most challenging animal you've ever hunted? Elephants. Hmm. So now, yeah. why? Because most people aren't going to understand that or relate to it. So why is but that the most challenging? They're, easy, they're relatively easy to find. It's hard to find a really big one, but they're relatively easy to find. But they're so dang dangerous that. Uh, 
if you don't, you got, you got to have the right guy with you as a PH that really understands elephants and what they're about and how they act and what they think about because they're uh, they're very uh, very very dangerous. And you have to understand one thing about elephants is that they will uh, they will sacrifice their own body for anybody else's baby elephant. So they they go into the ultimate protection mode when you're when you're around these these creatures. And uh, you know a lot of times you're hunting elephants, you'll see 500 of them a day, maybe more. So uh, it's uh, it's not like there's not a lot of them because the, you know the government in this country, with some of the newscasts, wants you to think that they're uh, endangered, mm-hmm. but that's not the case. So, uh, but um, I always tell this one story about how uh, they, everybody laughs about it because they think uh, I'm crazy. But uh, we got to Zambia one year, and we're we weren't going to hunt elephants, but we we're going to hunt buffalo and everything else, and. Uh, so the elephants weren't uh, legal to hunt that time. So we got there and I got my bow out. We got to the camp and I got my bow out. And they had a cotton bale there for me to, to shoot at. So I'm, I walked out and I'm plunking a couple arrows in the cotton bale and I walked back to the shooting position. There's an elephant standing there. I said, well, that's pretty neat. A tame elephant in camp. Wow, that's going to be a lot of fun here. I'm going to be here a month. I'm going to get to know this elephant, you know. So I walked back. And, hey, big boy, what are you doing? You're standing right in my position. And I reached up, put my hand up and pushed him back his hand on his trunk there and, and pushed him back up and back up. And I said, okay, wait there. I'm going to shoot some more. And he got arrows. And, and I came back. I said, look, I told you not to stand in my positions. And I put both hands on him and pushed him back a couple steps, you know. And I looked out, saw him out of the corner of my eye. Peter Bothman, the PH, was running at me with his double rifle at ready to shoot. And I says, he's not tame, is he? He said, kill you right here. Wow. <laughs> said, he's not tame. He says, he's kind of tame because he was raised in this camp. But now he's... He's uh, seven eighths grown because he's like 10, 12,000 pounds. Whoa. And uh, he's had no matriarch in, in his life to teach him because he, his mother got killed or whatever it was when he was a baby. And uh, so we've raised him in this camp. But now he's full of testosterone now and he just thinks he's the, the you know, King Tut. He and can just do what he wants. And uh, so he said, the problem now is he's dangerous as heck. And uh, I said, so, I said, so. I'm uh, I'm pushing him around, playing with him, and he's he'll he's, he'll kill you right here. He says you have to understand, you can't mess around with these guys. So you know things like that that you do in some of the hunting camps. You know it's kind of crazy, but that's my favorite elephant story. So what ended <laughs> up happening? Shot now, but uh, they're uh, they're they're very misunderstood about in this country. About everybody thinks they're endangered now, and it's not the case. There's way way more than than uh, than you can imagine. And uh, one of the things was uh, I was the first one they allowed to bow hunt and the Matetsi properties. It's National Parks property right next to the Winky Park, just south of Victoria Falls. And uh, I had these uh, three guys at camp with us, and they were uh, they were black guys that were the uh, fish and game guys. You know, they, they call it National Parks there, though. And so they gave me permission to hunt elephants and buffalo, a dangerous game in those properties there that you concessions that you can hunt in so i was the first guy they allowed to do that so they came and went on the hunt with us and uh but anyway one night at the uh, um dinner we were talking about the elephants in wanky park and he said there's like forty-three thousand square kilometers kilometers in the park and uh no fifteen thousand kilometers 15 or twenty thousand square kilometers and forty-three thousand elephants in the park wow I said, that's a problem. He's, I said, it's all knocked down. And he said, yeah, every tree's knocked down. If they can push it over, it's all knocked down. All, all, the, all the ecosystem has been destroyed by the elephants. He said, we need to kill 
30,000 elephants today to have the ecosystem come back in this park in three in a hundred years. Wow. So it was uh, a pretty good story about uh, how destructive elephants are. He says there's no there's no uh, shortage of them. He said these elephants in the park now to find food, they'll go out 600 miles. And they'll make a 600 mile loop out through other countries and come back at certain times of the year into the wanky and stay there. He said so it gives you an idea, you know, that, that the story's not true what you know our news media talks about on elephants so but they're very dangerous and uh, there's nothing like hunting them because you have to sneak up on them like anything else and um, they can kind of stand to look at you but they can't stand to smell you it's kind of the way it is and and uh, you need to be shooting one at 20 or 30 yards you know and uh, I shot four of them now one of them almost got me running this down but uh, pH uh, shot uh, shot uh, two pHs uh, shot the uh, elephant before he got to me. He fell about 20 feet from me when he oh when he hit the ground. So it was, uh, we already had two arrows in him and I hadn't killed him. And so he got really dangerous. And uh, But that was the worst one. But elephants are, uh, when they have a problem elephant, they, they shoot the problem elephant and then they kill all the other elephants in the herd because they can't have an elephant associating the death of one of their loved ones uh, with a human. So the humans are going to pay. So they kill every, every elephant in the herd when when there's something to do with the humans involved. Wow. So it's crazy, but that's the way it works. I've, I've wondered about bow hunting elephants and what kind of draw weight are you pulling in a situation like that? Well, how do you wear well, the vitals? Yeah. You, what you do is you get a book, and it's got all the African animals, and I carry it in this pocket right here. And whenever you're going to come up on some kudu or whatever it might be, and maybe I shot a lot of kudu, but you always every animal over there is something different about them. So... You just look up elephant or kudu, whatever you're hunting, mm-hmm. and before you, you know, when you're getting out of the truck and what you're doing, so you look at the spot that you know you have to kill them, and that's what you, that's what I do because you can't remember all the animals. You'll be, you know, crazy because the beautiful part of hunting Africa is when you get up in the morning, you say I'm going to go shoot a kudu today. It's probably not the case. It's not going to happen because you're going to run into something else before that. So mm-hmm. you never know what you're going to hunt. So, but this booklet's uh, really, really help you about where to shoot them. So elephants very, very important. Otherwise, you're gonna have a real problem. So, what kind of draw weight were you? You know, like what's your setup for something like that? When I first started hunting, I was shooting like 110 pounds when I could oh pull those bows, gosh. and then now with the with the bows way more efficient, and we uh, and, and better energy storage, you can shoot with a lot a lot uh, less bow weight. The last one I shot was with a 70 pound DNA with a 690 grain arrow with a German kinetic point, and it went almost all the way through them. The point just stuck out a little on the opposite side, but it went through both lungs and through the top of his heart, through all the plumbing. And when I shot him, he fell down. I mean, then he got back up, went 15 yards, fell down again, got back up, went another 10 yards, fell down, dead, and all in less than a minute. So, and that's pretty amazing with an elephant, but you you have to shoot him right. You have to shoot him right. How long ago was that, Pete? Four years ago. Four years ago. Three or four years ago. Yeah. do they give you any kind of instruction on once you make your shot, do you head for the nearest tree or what do you, what do well, you do? You, yeah, we always kind of have a plan, you know, and, and there's a lot of guys that pretend they know how to elephant hunt, but you, you can sometimes when you get around them, you know that. Because I've been, I've been, I've hunted elephants a lot of years now. Mm-hmm. And there's guys that have shot way more. Uh, one of our guys, staff guys from Canada, I think has shot 20 elephants with our bows over the years. He's got the most, Adrian Erickson's his name. He's got a lot of experience there, but I'm not close to where he is in shooting big elephants. So, uh, but yeah, the, the pH, it keeps you, 
keeps you tuned up. And a lot of times you'll be driving down the road and you'll see a bunch of elephants and you look at them, you see there's not one in there that you want to shoot, not big enough ivory or whatever it might be. But you get out and you go stalk them and play with them and get around them and, that, and work on them. But now the idea of letting them see or anything, the idea is see what you can get away with mm. and, and, and to keep you comfortable when you're around them because these things are very dangerous. And uh, if you don't believe me, ask Chuck Adams sometime because he almost got killed by elephants. And he's, uh, I don't know if he, you know, I don't think he ever went back hunting elephants anyway, but it, uh, you can get in pretty bad situations. Every year when I go to Africa, I learn about somebody that I know or was a friend or something, somebody that I know anyway got killed by an elephant that year. So every year that happened seemed like. So it was always problems. And uh, mm. so uh, when I got home that year, uh, Laura and I were on our way to New Mexico to elk hunt, and my phone rang. Oh, it's Pete, you know, and the guys, Pete, this Raymond. I said, Raymond who? Raymond, your PH in Zimbabwe. Oh, yeah, Raymond, what's going on? He said, well, I like the way you killed that last elephant there. And he said, uh, I've got a few problem elephants I want to shoot. And then if you shoot them with a bow, I won't have to kill the whole herd. So he said, let's see if we can give it a try. And I said, can you come on back? And I said, yeah, what's, I says, uh, how many arrows should I bring? Because I knew he wasn't going to tell me how many elephants were dealing with. He said, well, he said, not too many. I said, well, how many, Raymond? He said, about 300 arrows. <laughs> I said, we got 300 problem elephants? He said, yeah, in that neighborhood, but we'll only be about six weeks. We'll kill them all in six weeks. And I said, really? I said, which one's going to kill me, Raymond? <laughs> he says, oh, oh no, he's, I'll, I'll back you up. But he, uh, he has personally shot over 10,000 elephants. And uh, so he, he's liked the way he did it with a bow because it was quiet, and the rest of the herd had no clue what was going on because there's no gunfire see mm-hmm. so he really liked that idea of it so that's a different way of dealing with problem elephants but i was talked out of uh going by other people that live there they said don't go and do this he said you just don't know what's going to happen so but it was pretty pretty interesting invitation i, I wish now i'd have gone and done it because it had been the ultimate story no, you know, so ever. of all the places you, you know you've gone everywhere a lot you've hunted a lot in africa as well is there something that rivals the feeling as far as north american hunting for you I, I think brown bears because they're dangerous and they're big guys and uh, pretty interesting and fun to hunt and glass and stalk, you know, and you're in cold, rainy, crappy weather and it's just different than uh, Africa. But it has that element of danger to it, I think, that makes it uh, that makes it very, very interesting. So, but uh, I, I, if I could go and I'm just going to one thing, it'd be elephants, I think. But you really have to be with somebody you really know and trust. And I tell everybody, if you're going to go do that, make sure you got two guys that are trained that can shoot shoot with a rifle, because you're going to you're, you're going to have problems. Have you ever had any close encounters with with a, a you know predator like a brown bear or a wolf or whatever that you thought I might not make it out of this one? Well, I I, I had a brown bear that uh, that I uh, watched fall asleep one day and stuck up on him. I was seven yards and I shot him. <laughs> And, uh, and he came out of there pretty wild, pretty crazy, and uh, that was that was pretty tense. But uh, other than that, a um, um, couple other times, just sneaking on him, you know, you'll you get in situations where you, I won't say it's death-defying, but it's uh, it could go the wrong way. So it's like any wild animal, though. So do you pack a sidearm in in those instances? I assume, or no? Not in Africa, but in North America, I carry a forty-four Magnum. Yeah, hmm. always. Even sleeping. One <laughs> night, I, I, I kid everybody that, uh, and everybody thinks I'm kidding about it, but I'm not. We camped on the beach one time in the south, <clears throat> on the Alaska Peninsula, and put the 
tent, the north face tents, you know, the dome tents, and uh, they have the snow holes in them where you could, you know, drawstring them tight. And uh, me and the cameraman were sleeping in there, and I felt my head go down like that and, and come back up. And I thought, oh, something stepped in the grass right next to my head outside the tent, and it was a brown bear. So, uh, and she took him, she could smell me, so she put her nose in where the, the drawstring is, where you closed the hole up real mm-hmm. tight, and she pushed it over and touched my nose with it. So her uh, nose touched my oh nose. Oh, my gosh. She did that six times that night, and I reached out on my sleeping bag to get my 44 Magnum up, but I didn't want to shoot because I had the gun right next to my face, yeah. you know. So, but that was probably as tense a moment as I ever had with a brown bear, but <laughs> I... Uh, so ill myself. I think I need a new sleeping bag after that <laughs> encounter. She did six times. And my buddy, Dave Snyder, who passed away a couple of years ago, he's one of the, I always said he's the all-time greatest bow hunter because he killed the world record elk and the world record uh, mule deer in one scoring period. And uh, But anyway, he got he got bit pretty good one night by a brown bear in Alaska. And uh, he didn't go back. And he, uh, he said that was enough for him. Just the so fact that he survived he got bit it. Pretty good, though. Yeah. That's unreal. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Yeah. So, but uh, but the dangerous game, I think, is um, I don't know. I don't think anybody I'm brave or anything else. But maybe uh, I think it's just the excitement level of the dangerous game is uh, it makes it um, really really interesting and really fun. So it makes uh, my turkey hunt seem not as interesting. <laughs> the turkey's not going to maul you if you no. miss. You well, got you really go close. <laughs> What's that, Pete? You will go to Africa because one of these days you'll go and you'll do shows over there and you'll see because it's just so much stuff to hunt there. And uh, and uh, I know your your dad, Mark, think you guys are busy enough in North, North America, but you have to go sometime and you'll and then you'll start doing shows over there, too. So it's uh, and I think people like to watch the uh, dangerous game shows or the African shows. I, I think people like to see that because they're a little more adventuresome. You know, so I think that's. That's that's what makes it really exciting. How about how about Cape Buffalo? I know those those are kind of top of the list and uh, can can be pretty aggressive. Have you taken a Cape? Yeah, I've shot three of them, and um, they're they're uh, they're really not they're dangerous enough, but they're not super dangerous until they're hurt. When they're hurt, then they're super dangerous. And mm-hmm. uh, it's um, it's the the last one I shot saw us and come up out of a ravine and ran over to and stopped 10 feet in front of me with his head looking at me. And he was just a little bit corner ways and uh, PH had the, he had double rifle on him. He said, Pete, we got a problem. We got a problem here. I said, and I just pulled back and I shot him right through the front right here and came out over and on the side right there. And it went through his, uh, it nicked his heart and went through one lung and uh, he went off about 65 yards or so and then stood there for like an hour before he fell down. But that's how tough they are. You just don't know. But Cape Buffalo are very, very dangerous, very dangerous. A lot of people think they're more dangerous than like elephants, but I don't think that's the case. But uh, I've shot three of them, though, so they're they're fun, and they're really, really fun to hunt because there's nothing stupid about them. You'd think a big old cow, cow animal, that's not the case. But everything in Africa is, is uh, faster, smarter, and quicker and more dangerous than anything in North America. That's why I look at it. And uh, it's uh, it's a whole different game over there. So once you go, you will go back. And, uh, and I just think it's uh, it's uh, kind of the ultimate in hunting because you get up in the morning, you don't know what you're going to shoot that day or what you're going to yeah. hunt or what you're going to find. Every day is different. Pete, do you hold any records for, for any animals taken? Um, 
I got a, the world record bison I shot uh, um, in 92, and uh, he I shot him in uh, Utah, just north of uh, 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 Lake Powell uh, in uh, Arizona there, in Utah. So it's uh, in Henry Mountains. That was a pretty neat hunt. That was really a great hunt. We had three or four guys helping me glass, and uh, we finally found them. It took 30 days before we found this one. We knew there was at least two world records in that area, and uh, but just get after you find them, getting to them in, within the day is a lot of times a problem. But we finally killed one, and he was a world record. So he held for like 12 or 13 years. So. What makes it a world record for for bison? It's the three three three. Uh, I think it's three uh, uh, diameters. And the length of the horns. Hmm. Yeah, so uh, they're really interesting animals to hunt. They're really, really fun to hunt, and they're another animal that can kind of stand to look at you, but they can't stand to smell you. And uh, but we we saw a lot of bison, and I call them buffalo. But anyway, mm -hmm. um, we saw a lot of them, but we we're looking for specific ones, you know, and uh, that the biologist told told us that they were there. So and we found the one, and we weren't sure when I shot him. We weren't sure. He was a world record, but everybody's getting calls from their wives and everybody else and wondering if they're going to get home for Thanksgiving and whatever, you know. So I thought, I thought maybe I'd better shoot one before. <laughs> yeah, it's go time. Bad, you know? <laughs> but it turned out it was the right one. So, But uh, I got a couple other records that I'm going to put here on it now. But um, I got a, like, a hippo that's like number two, a puku. You don't know what a puku It looks like an impala, but it's different, it's a bigger one. If I put it in the book, it'd be the world record for, for archery and safari club, but I never put it in the book. But uh, there's, we got several things that are pretty close, you know. Uh, you know but we've hunted all over in the Arctic and um, muskox and things like that, you know. And got, I got 20 species out of the 29 now. I need nine more. So and they're all expensive and they're all big time hunts. You think you'll be able to get, get them or, or do you even so, have the desire to? No, I, I have the desire to, yeah. No, I, I want to get them, just a matter of when. So, but uh, they're all, you know, they're all work, hard-working hunts. You know, two sheep and one goat. You know, and polar bear, and stuff like that. Wow. How Pork do you? They're the easiest. How do you put a stock on a hippo? <laughs> that uh, you, we built a blind, just kind of a wall, because they were in the same area in the, in the river every day mm -hmm. and this one had a great big crooked tooth I mean it was like way big tooth and uh, and, and that's how they measure the, the, the hippo not how much they weigh or anything they weigh 6,500 pounds a big one so uh, every day I'd work on him for a couple hours I just wanted to get his back up out of the water he made a good movie out of it and so you can go on the uh, uh, YouTube stuff and see it but uh, I, I finally got after like two or three weeks of trying him every day for an hour or so. Mm. He stood up out of the water and got his back up out of the water about a foot. And then I shot down in the water from 35, 35 or 36 yards. I think it was 36 yards. And I shot down in the water, like three feet from him and went down in the water and we're right on through him. Whoa. So that killed him. You but, bow fished him. <laughs> yeah. Fished him, yeah. But I killed a bunch of, a bunch of hippos in those days that I could, they let me kill hippos every day to bait lions. Cause we had 10 lion baits going. And uh, it takes a lot to feed a lion. So a lion can eat, you know, 50 pounds a day. So and we're feeding a bunch of baits. And there, a lot of these baits had, you know, five or six or seven lions on it. So we were, we were feeding about a hippo about every day. And uh, so uh, I got to shoot a bunch of them. 
So, and, and all the travels, you know, all over the world, have you ever had a, a dangerous encounter in traveling where mm. a plane, a engine, a prop plane, a, you know, one of those type of deals, helicopter? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think, uh, oh, I, I don't think so. I think I've been lucky there. A lot of flying in Alaska. Lots of flying in Alaska, and they, it all worked out good. And sometimes you're flying in Alaska, you run into bad weather, and, and if, the, if the pilot has any sense, then they turn around and go back. So mm -hmm. that's what, uh, and I fly a lot, so uh, I have a pretty good idea what, uh, what it takes to stay alive. And, uh, so, and I, I fly helicopters, too. So uh, it's easy to get in trouble with a helicopter because you think you can fly over and around everything, but uh, you, you uh, try to use good sense when you're in the airplanes. And, if, if, if I'm in an airplane with somebody going someplace into the bush and I think they're doing something stupid, I tell them. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's your life it's, on the line. Keeps us, a, keeps us uh, I don't know if it keeps us alive or not, but it has so far. But we've never had any real problems. We've run into a lot of weather problems, but they all worked out okay. Mm. Before we move off this topic, a, a little fun fact. Pete has also flown those, you know, like those Red Bull, like little bitty. Oh, yeah. What, yeah. what kind of planes are those, Pete? Uh, Russian Sukhoi. 20, uh, 26 and a Russian Sukhoi tw uh, 31, and uh, they're the best aerobatic planes. I flew competition aerobatics for about 15 years, so. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? That's the most interesting man. And that's what I'm telling you. <laughs> they, and and oh, also, yeah. he he can do rodeo. He can do, like, it's that's what I love about our dinners at ATA, <laughs> I or when we go out to Arizona to meet up, meet up with these guys. We find out something new about Pete every time that I'm just like, oh, my God. This guy <laughs> is, like, a this? legend. <laughs> Jeez. The other rodeo stuff's fun. You know, it's team roping. It's the same thing as other stuff is. It's fast and it's exciting and it has some of those elements of, you know, danger a little bit anyway. But um, but team roping is a great sport and uh, there's a lot of other sports could learn a lot from team roping because it's uh, it's highly competitive and they play for a bunch of money. So it's all it's all entry fee driven and it's really a great sport. And 550,000 team ropers in this country now. And, they and I don't think stand. there's 30,000 tournament archers. Wow. And so all those guys we're doing something stand. wrong. They probably stand for the national anthem, too. I'd say so. <laughs> Makes it a winner in my book. Well, you know, Pete, one of my friends has hunted Africa, and he's pretty much said the same thing that you have, is that it's just, there's just nothing like it on Earth. And it's the, the people, like the, the people that you, that you meet over there, the, the natives are just a real treasure and a lot of fun. Did you have any, any oh, interesting yeah. run-ins with, uh, with the folks that live there? No, not no, not really any run-ins. No, I mean, you got to be good friends, you know. Mm -hmm. Especially like you'd be on a lot of your hunch you'll have like six trackers, you know. So if they're tracking something, I get in the middle of it. You know, I try to, I, I kid with them and have fun with them, you know. But the idea is to learn from them how do you track? Because if I had one of those, you know, one of those trackers with me elk hunting, and I knew there was a big elk and I could show them a track, we'd kill that elk in a week because they would he'd never get away because these trackers are unbelievable. Everybody in this country thinks you know how to track. But they don't know anything compared to the guys in Africa. What do they do differently than we? The, what we don't do? They learn when they're little kids. Hmm. Yeah, they can track one elephant through a herd of 500. Jeez. Just they just remember the the road map on the bottom of their feet. They're crazy. It's crazy good. I mean, it's it's just uh, it's it's something you wouldn't believe until you see them in action. You know, so. When they're tracking, I'm I'm in the middle of them. I'm I'm with them. I'm I'm trying to learn what they're seeing. You know, mm -hmm. you know how'd you see that? What'd you do? And, and you pick up a lot of stuff. But 
unless you're using it every day, you don't you don't remember it. But it's it's just fun to do that with them, and they appreciate you having fun with them like that because you know, a lot of times you'll shoot a, a plains game animal or anything. Uh, uh, could be a buffalo, and it might go five miles before you're going to get it, you know, or find it. So, uh, um, but these guys are truly amazing. But they learn when they're little kids. That's the thing their fathers teach yeah. them, and, uh, and that's that's where they get it. Unreal. So, Pete, is that I know you know through the years you've got to meet a lot of interesting people, kind of on the same topic, uh, presidents and every other thing. So, what, what was the most interesting person that you've ever met? A person that I find most—you're probably the most interesting person I've ever met. <laughs> Who's the most interesting person you've ever met? Well, I don't know. There's a bunch of them. I don't. I don't. I don't know. Uh, I think I'd have to say uh, it's it's the the Russian cosmonaut that that spent a year in the Mir station. He's a real good friend of mine. I met him through aerobatics. And he's been on a lot of our shuttle missions, so um, he and I've got to be good friends. And uh, he's a super genius, and he's an also he's a normal person, and he's very smart. We taught him to shoot a bow one day down here in Tucson. He he uh, called him, caught him, called him. He was at NASA in Houston, and I uh, asked him, "Can you come up?" I said, uh, "Victor and Elena are going to be here from Russia, the coaches of the team, and uh, wonder if he could come up and fly with us. Cause he, they're all good friends." And and uh, but Krikalov uh, said, well, I'm not sure we're underwater training. Maybe we, maybe we can. He's so smart that he taught himself to speak perfect English in two weeks. That's the kind of guy he is. And anyway, uh, we, we were flying like Tuesday. And, uh, and uh, Laura said that um, she just got a call that Krikalov would be at the air base in an hour. So we drove down to the air base and got him. And then they gave him a T-38 to fly over here from Houston when and had stopped at El Paso and got fuel and came into Tucson at the air base. And we met him, he's getting out of the airplane. And I said, uh, Sergey, I didn't know you could fly one of these. He said, oh, very first time. He just dip, 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 nothing to it. Just put the <laughs> canopy and fly over. That's the kind of guy he is because you tell him once and he's got it. So next day it was raining. So we came into the shop and said, well, we're gonna teach you how to shoot a bow. Oh, great, you know, never seen one before. In 20 minutes of coaching, he could shoot top professional level because he remembered everything you told him and he could do it and he's an athlete see so a guy like that is just absolutely incredible and he's been on a lot of our shuttle missions uh, putting the or the alpha station the iss station together and so i would i would be on the computer with him you know a lot of times you know once a week or sometimes every other day or something but he's always telling me a story and i knew all the stories what was going on on the space station when he was there and stuff that um that people didn't know uh, happened because uh, NASA didn't publish it on anything. But I, I mean, I got it firsthand from him. So and there's a lot of, you know, pretty, pretty dangerous situations that came about. So, but he was involved with. But he was, he's very, uh, he's an incredible person. And I think most, most incredible person I've ever met in my life. And he was uh, just a superman at doing anything like that. Hmm. <laughs> Sometimes it seems like when you meet. A, um, a professional expert celebrity sometimes they're a little less <clears throat> impressive in person have you have you met uh, uh, maybe a president that when you met them in person you were even more impressed by them well I got to teach uh, President Bush senior how to shoot a bow Wow and at the Safari Club show and um, and so I didn't know if he's right hand or left hand so I built one of each but anyway 
I, I, uh, my neighbor used to be his guard, so he told me he was left-handed anyway, so I made sure he had a left-handed one, about 30 pounds. But he's already 80-some years old, and he couldn't pull the bow. So then I just made mostly demonstration for an hour on shooting uh, stuff. And he was so impressive, I, I just have to say he's maybe the most, one of the most impressive people I've ever been around. I introduced him to at least 25 people during that hour I had him there for teaching him this stuff. He remembered everybody's name. Just crazy, crazy good, but uh, wonderful to be around. And every time you're around him, he's got his hand, he's got his arm around you or his hand on your shoulder when he's talking to you. And he's genuinely interested in everything. Uh, it was because he wanted to learn to shoot a bow, but he sure. just couldn't pull the bow at that point. So uh, he just wanted to know if he could keep the bow and put it in his library. So I, I said, sure, not a problem. I said, I'll build you whatever bow you want. To, we'll get one, you know, light enough so that you can pull it because he wanted to be able to shoot a bow at his place in in Maine during okay. the summertime see so out the lawn so uh, but uh, you know we're shooting at an elk target now shooting and he says you mean you shoot these animals you know you can shoot elk with a bow and I said Mr. President I says I, we've, I've shot elephants with a bow oh you got to tell me a story so you cool. end up going and telling him a story about shooting an elephant and stuff and he's always I mean every second was he's, he just just on pins and needles and interested in everything you did about you know the hunt so and just the um, I'd say it was one of the big highlights of my life. Who gets to be around the president of the United States, you know? Well, I was about to say, and who gets to to have an hour of their undivided attention? Right. That was great. Yeah, it was just, uh, it was crazy good. You know, just like uh, you you get to keep pinching yourself. Is this me here with this guy? You know, it's like crazy. (laughs) So it was fun. It was really, uh, and you have a, you know, a whole different level of respect for him when you're around him like that. I I, I was going to ask who has been kind of the person that has starstruck you the most, but it sounds like he, he may be it. Yeah, I think so, yeah. I think, you know, there's a lot of people, you, you know, that uh, that you get really highly impressed with, you know, uh, uh, whether they're big-time people or not, you know, like Dave Snyder, I said, in Las Vegas. He's, uh, I think, always the best bull hunter I've ever known. And uh, and he was in Pope, he was in Pope and Young and all that, but he, uh, he, um, you know, he, he killed five coos deer bucks, one of them the world record non-typical in five hunts. I don't know anybody that's ever done anything like that. I mean, that's really, uh, you kill, you, you come down and spend a season down in Arizona and kill one of those things, you you got your hands full to do that. So, uh, but Dave Snyder, is, you know, he's just an everyday guy, he's a fireman, you know, and uh, but he's just a special guy. Pete, you're making me uh, seem sad about my life because I'm kind not. Of boring. <laughs> yeah, like all right, I'm here in Missouri. How many elephants have you taken? I've never gone anywhere. <laughs> well, you know the, the you know the bow and arrow business. You know you meet a lot of people. You know sure. it's uh, I've got to be friends with Martin Truex. You know the race car driver. So in a week I get to go be in the pits with him in Phoenix at the wow. race. So it's kind of pretty pretty neat. And you know I just met him at Bass Pro, and you know, he used to come into the plant and get a bow once in a while and every year and then uh tony stewart did too and that but i was never here when they were coming in here so mm-hmm. it um, um i never got to meet him then i met him at bass pro and now you know i text him after he gets done with the race you know and uh kid him about it or something you know but it's uh <laughs> it's interesting to be around guys like that because they're truly superstars you know and they're really good at what they do and uh, and you learn a lot from them i think that's been the through hunting in general and you're saying archer on your side in archery but for our side and hunting in general we've got to meet a, a lot of interesting people and the one common denominator is I've, i very rarely have met a 
hunter that's just a crappy person. Mm, sure. You know, no matter where they're at in life or their field or whatever the case may be, they're, mostly they're really good people. Yeah. And that's, uh, I think it's been a pretty common denom- denominator. Yeah, I feel the same way. Yeah, same it's way. family. Yeah. 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 So. <laughs> wow. I mean, I feel like we need to have like multiple installments of, of yeah. Pete's interesting uh, life tales. The most interesting man in archery is what we called it. And I think we could have exactly. an extension of that on the podcast. No kidding. No kidding. <laughs> Pete, is there I, any parting I shot? Like, I took a lot of kidding about the, being the most interesting man in archery when I walked through an airport. <laughs> People up to me and kid me about it. Did the music, the soundtrack just play behind you everywhere you went? <laughs> <laughs> You know, but it's true, though, realistically. I mean, there's, you know, and I know that you say this a lot about the Pete's tips because we would, you know, just assess random numbers to the tips, just Pete's tip number, Mm -hmm. archery tip number 756. And, you know, they ask you whether, where do you sell your uh, book of tips? (laughs) Yeah, they come up and ask me. They they wouldn't say where, but they say, I'm going to buy your book of tips. I've been going to do it for the whole year now, but I haven't got it done, but I'm going to buy one. You know, I've had that happen a dozen times in airports, you know, just go on YouTube. <laughs> it's all there and you don't have to read. Go down a Pete yeah. Shepley wormhole. Wow. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Any parting shots for us? Like favorite, most uh, interesting thing that you can think of the top of the head that, that just comes to mind that you want to share with our audience before we leave? Well, I think there's one thing that's really important to me is that uh, you can see that I have my uh, Safari Club shirt on here. Everybody, every sportsman should belong to the NRA and Safari Club International. All the rest of the organizations are important, but in the, in the scheme of things, they don't matter because NRA gets things done and Safari Club International gets done. It's not expensive to belong to them, and everybody should belong. Perfect. That'll do it. Well said. Great. Well, I don't think we'll be able to top this show. No, let's just shut her down. Yeah, <laughs> the whole do thing. <laughs> <laughs> so if, if folks want to subscribe, and I hope you do if you haven't already, go to uh, iTunes, go to Google Play Store, wherever you get your podcasts, and hit subscribe to get the show every time that it uh, it launches, delivered fresh to your mobile device or wherever, whatever you're listening on. Uh, if you want to leave us uh, a question that we may answer on the show, go to DruryOutdoors.com slash podcast and click on the Send Voicemail tab in the lower right hand of your screen and leave us a voicemail with your name and location and what you want answered on the air and uh and you can also watch us if you're curious yeah if you want to if you want to follow along as you're watching you can subscribe to our youtube channel of course you could check out psc at psearchery.com i know they also have a youtube channel and of course their social media handles and you can follow along at Drury outdoors as well uh anytime you want and i know on our youtube channel as you're pr- kind of Uh, perusing around all the different things we have a playlist that's archery tips well all those archery tips are from the the man the myth and the legend right there and so we definitely want you to check out those tips pete we've been partnered for 13 14 years and every year we've we've done Mm. these tips on bow madness so a lot of them are here on the youtube channel and there's a lot to learn so one of the main things pete always emphasizes is get a coach well if you can't here's kind of the best way you can in the interim yeah. uh, learn some things on the fly over on our YouTube channel. Yeah. All right. Yeah, that'll pretty well. much do it. And don't forget DeerCast. It's also a little app that we've uh, we've got out there. So sure <laughs> you've downloaded it. It's free right now, so go ahead and check it out and uh, let it augment your hunting experience. Well, from the Drury Outdoor Studios, this is Tim Chelswick and Matt Drury. We're going to shut this thing down. Pete Shapley, thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate it.
We're adding new videos every week, so make sure to click that subscribe button and check out all of our amazing content. This episode of DOD TV is brought to you by Lacrosse Footwear.